It's conversational military history. This is War Stories. Good. We use the video, Landis, so that'll go in. My name's Garth Landis, um, and I'm here to tear stuff up. <laughs> there's the intro. No, I did get feedback from my, I think my number one fan, or I hope my number one fan, my wife, who listened to our last one sayer and said that uh, I need to introduce people early. Otherwise, she mentioned in that last one we did, like four minutes in, you start talking, and it's like, oh, Sayer's here. Nobody knew Sayer was here, so uh, I need to do a better oh, job of that. I see. Yeah. Okay. So this is my first attempt at that. I'm Preston Stewart. This is War Stories. Sayer Payne is here, and Garth Landis, who gave a nice introduction just a few minutes ago, a few seconds ago. That's right. Sayer, you were saying just before we hit record why we were thinking about thinking about Mr. Landis now. Mr. Landis, you got out, well, yeah, Garth Landis, I thought about him once we were doing the Generation Kill episode, because it was the invasion, and it just gets you thinking about that time, because again, all we know are the stories, and then you go to personal, hey, like, who do we know that personally were, you know, because we actually know people that were there, and because those are the stories we were asking back in the day when we were in the military, because those were pretty, primarily, at least from my viewpoint, were the stories that you heard. It was all Iraq. It wasn't a lot of Afghanistan ones. And anyway, first to my mind was Garth Landis, whom I, I mean, I thought you were with the third ID. You were a part of that invasion. Right. Um, yeah. And um, why don't you just, and then we figured we would, by the way, we're just going to, we also start, uh, Garth was a, he was a squad leader with us when we were deployed. So we served, we did serve in Afghanistan together, but, and so there's plenty to talk about. He's at, we're all three of us out of the army. Well, Stewie's still in actually. Half, yeah, one but foot in. Sort of, kind of in. It counts though, it counts. <laughs> but the other two of us, we're just doing our thing as regular old Joes now. And uh, I don't know, Garth, why don't you, um, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of just like how old you are and stuff and kind of like um, where you're from, where you grew up and that sort of thing. Yeah, so um, I'm 39 years old. I grew up in the mountain, the Blue Ridge Mountains in Virginia. I joined the uh, <clears throat> I joined the Army when I was 19. And I went to uh, basic training in Fort Benning that summer of 2001. So I reported, like, reported in August 1st, 2001, Fort Benning, hottest place in the world. Why are these pine trees so tall? And um, it was the end of the summer surge into basic training. So I was on holdover forever. Like, I sat at 30th AG reception for weeks. People were going AWOL. There were riots. Uh, <laughs> it was really interesting. Um, and then I started basic training, uh, Alpha Company, 150 Infantry, and then, like, September 11th happens, the day I'm going yeah. to the gas chamber. <laughs> like, really? We, we rock marched out to the gas chamber. I was a total wuss. It tore my feet up. I had to change my socks. And as soon as I had changed my socks, the first sergeant called a company formation and it was so weird. They're like, we've been attacked. We're at war. Like, <laughs> and like, there was no cell phones or anything like that. They asked for people from uh, New York and such so that they could go and contact their families. Some guys went on emergency leave. 
And it wasn't even like it was weeks later that one of the drill sergeants had recorded 9-11 and they took us into a conference room and we watched the videos of what had happened, you know, because it was just technology wasn't then like it is now. You know, we were so like um, that 9-11 thing. Did you guys think they were pulling your chain at first or anything like that? Like because you're in basic training and those they're always messing with you, aren't they? I mean, they're in your head. Yeah. It was like I could just sense the drill start. Like, first of all, the first sergeant was directing things, so that was weird because usually he's just like collecting a paycheck. <laughs> the drill sergeants did everything, but uh, they were real serious about it, and we were like kind of a horseshoe formation out there at Benning in the woods. <laughs> and they're like, like we're in war. We were just attacked. We're like okay, what does that mean? And then it was like, okay, next. All right, you're going in the gas chamber. <laughs> but it kind of took some of the uh, anxiety away from the gas chamber because, you know, like, we're going to war. <laughs> like, like, this is a thing. Yeah. Like, what and did you think? I mean, well, yeah, go ahead, Preston. I was going to say, that's kind of crazy. You talk about all the people that um, joined knowing that we're at war, right? Like the people that enlisted in 2004, like they knew what they were getting into kind of. Um, like there's a very small group man that joined when we were not at war and somehow served the entire time we were at war like there's a very short window there yeah i knew i knew one month of my military service without war you know i was in for i was in for 15 years one month and 22 days (laughs) and it was all all war oh Um, man I graduated basic training uh, December 7th of 2001. They gave me leave, and then I reported to Fort Stewart uh, January 2nd. And uh, <clears throat> the guys, like the unit I went to, Alpha Company 3-7 Infantry, they had just, like, literally just come back from uh, Kosovo. So these were, like, seasoned, <laughs> seasoned, uh, soldiers, leaders, like my team leaders, they were all, you know, they had a deployment under their belt, so they kind of knew what the deal was. Now, um, um, now I am, of course, I know the Kosovo era, but it was still above, this is just, I was probably too young for it. Like, were those guys, I know there was some action for a part of it, but like, were those guys getting like deployment patches for that one, that type of rotation, or was it like, what were they doing? You know, no, they didn't. They didn't get a combat patch. They, you know, they got some type of hazardous duty pay. Um, they did patrols. Um, they did OPs. They did presence patrols. Um, a lot of it was directed as like it felt like the Serbs were kind of like the enemy. You know, mm-hmm. um, and of course, all I got was <laughs> how that translated down to lower enlisted, and that was. Dude, the girls are hot, but their teeth are all jacked up. <laughs> Full debrief. Um, I think the only injury that happened that deployment, uh, one of the guys in the brigade stepped on an anti-personnel mine and it blew his foot off. Of course, you know, that place was just riddled with ordnance. Not quite like where we were. <laughs> but, you know, there was a lot of ordnance in the ground. Um, and we went... Uh, it was cool because when I got there, we start like we were at the base of a training cycle. So it was like individual tasks, you know, rifle range. Like I went through everything, like from bottom up all the way into the collective tasks. Um, 
and the crazy thing, hindsight, you know, was that after 9-11, like, uh, from what I've read and understood, was like Bush and Rumsfeld, they wanted to go to Iraq. We didn't know that. But <clears throat> it wasn't long after that, you know, within a year, like, we had, we had orders to Kuwait. And they told us that it was a training mission to Kuwait. Our really? third brigade. Our third and brigade. What time frame was this? Do you remember, like month and year time frame? We were we were in the higher end collective training cycles, like your battalion level missions, late summer of '01. Um, that would be like Eagle Flight Three for me. I guess I would understand that. Other people, yeah, wouldn't. like. The way Third ID did it was like they would go all the way up to like brigade level exercises, like these huge missions, um, like like the uh, <clears throat> like the battalion one, <laughs> the battalion level mission. It was like a Baylor focus, which we were the Cotton Baylors. Uh, but there was like, <laughs> if you were dismounted infantry like me, there was always like the, the Baylor death march. It was like this twelve mile movement <laughs> through the swamp. And uh, the, the, I was there for four years, so I got to do a couple of them. But it was like, hey, we got Baylor Focus coming up, like, ah, the death march. All right. Mm. But, uh, well, they're in 18th but, Airborne Corps, right? Yeah. They're the yeah, only. They, uh, they're like the real heavy. I mean, they're the big guns, really, for the yeah, whole we were, Corps. We were mechanized infantry. So, like, for me and 11 Bravo, we were, we were based off Bradley fighting vehicles. I was a dismount, but. I mean, I was just a passenger, basically. My rucksack was on the outside, and I was riding with a machine gun. Um, but we got orders. So 3rd Brigade, 3rd ID was in Kuwait, training mission. They came home late summer summer of 02, and we were going to go replace them and do our training cycle. And on the orders, <laughs> the orders were called Operation Desert Spring. That was our mission. Mm. And come to find out, we invaded Iraq the first day of spring. <laughs> I was like, they do Well, that's one of those they weird things. Like, now we only know it as Iraqi freedom. But, like, that wasn't the thing, right? You know, World War II. Now we know it as World War II. But, like, it wasn't that when it first started, right? It's kind of weird to think about how that. They already knew we were going, though. You know, like, it was pre it was just, like, we have to check these blocks that were justified in going to war, but they are—they knew we were going to war. They wanted to, but I got there. I think it was like September when I got there of '02. I remember Thanksgiving there. Um, we lived in this huge tent on Camp Kuwait or uh, Camp New York. I'm sorry, Camp New York, Kuwait, and uh, we we were training day and night. My squad leader was. Uh, he had just gotten back from uh, the big opera, Anaconda. He was in Anaconda with mm. rocks. So he was like nuts. He drilled us day and night. I was a two, I carried a 240. Um, we did gas drills day and night, you know, because we were all worried about getting hit with uh, scuds. Was there any frustration? Like the war's on in Afghanistan. It's very clearly on, like, there's combat in Afghanistan, and you guys have a training mission in Kuwait. Do you remember anybody being like, crap, we're, we're missing the war kind of thing? No, 
Kuwait, I mean, we were training all the time and we did some phenomenal training. We did these massive mount villages, like all the big battle drills. We did it like for real with live ammo, like big live fires, big, big movement to contacts. Um, we were training all the time, day and night, all the way through Christmas, around New Year's, and then I can't remember, like it was a steady buildup, but like somewhere around January or February, like you come out of the tent one day and you're like, dude, the whole division's here. Like what is going on? Cause like when we got there, we were like the first people on Camp New York. And within three months, the whole division was there. And there were multiple camps. There was Camp New Jersey, Camp Pennsylvania, like everybody's in Kuwait. The Marines had this huge place called Camp Commando all these massive bases out in the desert. It was just forces coming in, equipment coming in, everybody's coming in. And finally, you know, we're like, all right, well, we're going to war. And uh, they were bringing in a bunch of light infantry units. I know like the 101st came in, like strike. I remember when those guys got there and they kicked us out of Camp New York and sent us out into the desert. And I, dude, I'm talking about, Almost the whole month of February, all the way through the third week of March, we invaded. I lived in the desert with a rucksack. Like, that was it. Really? Like, every day was Groundhog Day. You get up, you brush your teeth, you clean your weapon. You just sit, you maybe eat, go burn the crapper. Like, Well, yeah, because, like, what, what were you, E2 at this time, E3? <laughs> I, I, when I went over there, I was a PFC at some point when we were living in the desert, like like Bedouins, I pinned E4. And it was funny because they did my promotion ceremony and they beat me so bad they broke my rank that I didn't have any rank. Like, they, dude, they broke me all. I was bleeding all over the place. There's a, there's a thing in history where they try to make the, like the landing craft on D-Day. The ride was so uncomfortable. Like be it was you know people were getting seasick and, and bounce around and all that that there were folks who said like we just wanted to get ashore like there's death and destruction up ahead but the the ride in is so so bad that everybody was just chomping at the bit to get on the beaches it sounds like that go live in the desert for a month you'll be you'll be ready to go when we say go that's well, that was like the joke was like they're they're just trying to piss us off so bad that when it comes time for war we just go kill everything which we kind of did, but um, so we slapped. They're good at that, man. Like it's wild dogs. It's that mentality, this, this fueled testosterone stuff. Like I couldn't, I could imagine those conditions, but then I also can't because I wasn't there. You know what I mean? What that would have been like, just that it was a different time too, because I felt like there was a hot pot going, you know, you just, you already knew, like you knew it wasn't Afghanistan. You knew you're going in Iraq, the whole war on terror, Saddam shit. Um, I couldn't imagine that sort of anticipation. The information flow was so like, you know, obviously it came from platoon leadership down, but it was like, uh, it was like mountains and valleys. It was like, all right, gearing up, we're going to do this and blah, blah, blah. And and the next day like, Oh, we're not doing it. No, something different now and it was like all these highs and lows and finally i just got to the point where i was like 
forgive my French, but I don't give a fuck if we go to war or not at this point. Like, just tell me what we're doing. Hmm. Um, and then uh, maybe the 19th, we got to make phone calls one last time. And uh, I called my mom and I was on whatever weird Army Signal Corps phone I was on and I was talking to her and I was watching cruise missiles go overhead. And this was right this is right before Bush got on TV and said it. And I was like, I'm like, Mom, I, I think we're going to war for real. <laughs> She's like, wow, I'm like, I'm watching a missile right now, <laughs> like flying overhead. Wow. And then that night, uh, the night the night before we went, no, it was the night we went. It was a long night. Um, right after dark, I mean, we just nailed them. I mean, you could see the JDAMs just all night long, just massive JDAMs going off. And um, I think I wrote somewhere in a letter later on, I was like, that was the best fireworks show I've ever seen. It was, I mean, we, we lit that place up. And then uh, we had to, Somewhere during that day, we increased the mop level, whatever. It was everything minus a mask. So boots, pants, jacket. Um, and then uh, then we, we loaded up and uh, we headed to the berm. It was just <laughs> like file here, file. Like we all had our different attack points on the berm. And we were probably, you know, if I felt like we were close to the front of the file going over the berm. And uh, that was my D-Day moment, like in the back of the Bradley, looking out the periscopes, like, dude, we're going to, like, like, dude, we're doing something pretty significant right now. Like, we are invading a country. You just glossed over some things. I, I love these conversations. Like, you just glossed past some stuff that's like, it's crazy. There's not very many people who in their lifetimes watch a pre-invasion bombardment with their own eyes and then take, like, it doesn't matter how many fights people were in later on in the war in Iraq or Afghanistan or whatever. There's, there's only so many people that watched the invasion, the, the JDMs, the bombs and the cruise missiles striking and then rolled in behind it. That's dude, that's a small group. And uh, that's wild. The, the way that played out was really cool for me personally, because, um, we were static in a defensive position. I mean, we weren't in Iraq, but we were in Kuwait defensive status. And uh, we were rotating radio guard slash security. Um, and the way it played out was like when, like when we really started dropping those like 2000 pounders and stuff, I had just gone on shift. So I'm up in the turret on the, on the radio. I've got thermals, you know, I've, I've got control of the gun on the Bradley and I'm just sitting up there pitch dark, you know, elevated on the turret, just like, Oh my God, dude, look at this. Like, I, I mean, I still see it like those flashes. I mean, we just leveled that place that night. You how far away funny. were you from this, huh? from the, all the airstrikes? How far away were you? Like, what was the proximity? Like when you're at the camp, you know, but uh, I know I you're close to the border, but what's that, what's like, that like? We, like you could see, like the border between Kuwait and Iraq was this massive berm and see how my range estimation is after 20 years. Um, we're going to fact check it. It was like three to five kilometers. I feel like we were probably from the berm. 
And it was funny too, like, you know, SF is, they're doing their thing. And like, we'd see a Humvee come over the berm like that day prior, like, hey, that's US, you know, we're like lazy yeah. with the gun. And they're like, no, 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 it's SF, it's SF. They're coming. Like, dude, they've already been there. We're such, like, we're whack, man. They've already been there. We're not, I want that job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Flip tops um, and ball caps. It, but like that, that the day before we went like there was a steady escalation like i think iraq i don't know if this is true or not but they, we got reports that they did launch scuds into one of the bases whether it was new york or new jersey i can't remember if you listen to this podcast i assume you listen to other podcasts if you're anything like me you're probably always looking for something new to add to the library and if that's the case Check out the Mystery or History podcast, a multi-house production that I'll be co-hosting this season, where we challenge ideas that have historically been considered fact. This season, we're getting into things like the Romanov dynasty, early America, and of course, Little World War II. It's available wherever you listen to war stories and the trailers up now. So, let me know what you think. Now back to the show. And there was a big threat, something I think we've forgotten, maybe... I don't know. I, I feel like this is kind of buried down, but you mentioned mop gear earlier, which for people not familiar, that's the full chemical biological suit, head to toe, um, topped off with the mask, but gloves, boots, pants, jacket, nasty stuff to wear anywhere. You're wearing it in the desert. What was that? Like, I feel like my entire military career, gas and all that stuff's kind of been in the back of the mind, but not a real serious threat. That was like, a major, major concern that could yeah, happen that any minute, was, right? That was one of our primary focuses. I mean, like the whole, like, you know, gas, 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 nine seconds. Like we did it a million times, like middle of the night asleep. Like it was just drilled. Like I could put that mask on right now in five seconds just because I did it so many times then. How would you um, just, I, mean, I just crept. I had it prepped in such a way, you know, like all the fine intricacies of putting on a mask. It was like, it was an art, you know, it was like, <laughs> like so fast. Like I could be dead asleep and I'd still get it on in like seven seconds. Like we were just drilled to insanity with that. And that's um, like a mix between, it's not like snow pants and it's not rain pants. It's kind of like between, is that... Yeah, it's like, it's like it's like jacked up Gore-Tex, I guess. It has it has like the uniform feel, but the inside's that black charcoal lining. Yeah. And uh once you've worn that for weeks, like there's no words to describe the smell that comes from your body. And by like and my PL, he was a ranger. He uh I guess his feet just sweat a lot, but like, I remember him taking off those rubber boots and just dumping out a lake and like his feet got real bad. Like he sweat through his desert boots into his <laughs> protective boots. Like, like we were just so funky, man. And we didn't get a shower, you know, until after the airport was secure. I remember it was like, it had to have been close to May at that point. No, it was probably April at some point. Starting when? Was that like the February time frame? 
yeah, like we need to shower. Dude, we're like, dude, we're like bums. Like, we're just like the highlight of the day was like playing spades on a cot or something, you know? Like, I must have listened to Brooks and Dunn and Montgomery Gentry six million times. Like, I knew every word to every song. I mean, when you said you were in the camps first, which was um, better than it was later, uh, what was the, were those G, just GP medium type tents and pooping in holes? No, we had Porta Johns. You did. That was classic. That was dramatic in itself. There's still times where I walk out of Porta John and I'm afraid, like, when I open the door, I'm going to be on Camp New York. You know, like. <laughs> <laughs> And really, like the I think another bad thing of it, they forced the smallpox shot on us around that time, and like we weren't in like real hygienic conditions. So it's like they had like medics in the showers that would like take your bandages, <laughs> like scabs were falling off, and um, smallpox. Yeah, it's, it's an open wound, the open wound, right? When they put it yeah, on, there. Like, yeah, they poke you like three times, and then this nasty herpes thing comes up on your arm. And eventually the scab falls off, but it jacked me up. Like my lymph nodes got all swollen and uh, I was sick off from it. It was, I still got the scar on my arm from it. Um, and not to mention like all the anthrax they were pumping us with, like it was coming out of our ears. That one just hurts. And it was I remember funny. that one just hurts. I've had, I've had 12 anthrax shots in my life and I traced the lot numbers. Two of the lots that they gave me, i pretty sure then were bad and they're linked to like autoimmune disorder <laughs> i don't That's know i don't know the, the like max number of dosages you should get for something but my guess on anthrax would have been well below 12 like it seems like three <laughs> or four is probably like a a booster, <laughs> anthrax booster um, by the way though that is what uh the whole smallpox thing it's 30 percent uh lethal it's no joke and uh washington did forced inoculations where they would uh they would cut you open like make a small wound and a gash on your leg and then they would rub some because there's always always somebody sick with smallpox somewhere they would take the pus and rub it into the wound and that would be that introduction of the weakened uh, virus and he got like he got like 90 percent immunity or something rather than 30 percent mortality yeah. But, um, I mean, you know, after we crossed the berm, I just, the first thing, the first thing that stood out to me was like, we didn't sleep. Like all we did was move. We covered like 365 kilometers or something like that in a short amount of time. Uh, <clears throat> that's the longest I've ever been awake in my life. I, if I had to, I, re I really didn't sleep for like weeks, it felt like. And when I did sleep, I would just nod off. And then, you know, it's, you don't know what day it is. You don't know where you are. I just remember being scared. Everything was always on fire everywhere. Like there was just black smoke everywhere, shooting. Like I got very accustomed to hearing small arms fire to the point that whatever day it was in April or May when the shooting finally stopped, I remember it being weird that there, there was nobody shooting anymore because it was just all day, every day, all the time. Something burning, something on fire, something exploding, shooting constant for weeks. 
when when you're um like how are your days being spent you know there is shooting going on you've i mean just talk about going across that berm you said you're in a file um massive convoy right like how long is this thing do you know uh it was like i could see the rear of the vehicle back and it was just um blackout marker as long as far as you could see it was just massive it's flat desert right you're in the middle of a flat desert pretty yeah there's like dunes and berms and stuff but it's yeah it's just desert and you're driving on are you driving on a road a hardball road uh at some point we were on hardball and then we'd get back off um i remember at some point we had to stop for fuel and we were lined up they had the, the fuel trucks like right off the highway and there was a village west of us and that was the first time we, you remember like the, the military members were getting in those white pickup trucks with the markings. Yeah. I can't remember. That was the first Aine. time we experienced that. It was Fedayeen, I think. Uh, that was the first time we got into it with them. And that were you was manning a checkpoint? Like how did you get into it? Like how did you, how did this engagement start or get, we were, created, we, were ro- I guess? we were rolling up a highway and I'm in the back. I don't know what's going on, but I know like they had deliberately set a refuel for us. So they had the tank, the, you know, the big trucks with the big diesel tanks set up and we were filing through fueling and it was like, Hey, there's dudes with AKs or whatever weapons they had in these pickup trucks. Uh, And there was an engagement and then things really went sideways because they got organized in the town and they started launching indirect at us. And that was like, I was at the rear of my Bradley, the ramp was down and I'm watching mortars walk in on me. And I'm right next to my squad leader. He's like, <laughs> like we all lost our shit and we loaded up and um, they were trying to make sense, <laughs> you know, trying to like come together with a plan. <laughs> and my Bradley commander, he was this old, crusty staff sergeant um he was like you know he just called out like distance and 12 o'clock thousand meters and we were gone <laughs> like, like, that's what you do that's the battle drill i mean boom they were on the radio that's all that practice. they were trying to figure it out and sergeant Bruno was like i figured it out for you dude and we were gone man well, I'm that talking is about like, react to indirect. I love hearing that, man. Dude, I was watching them like I swear it was like 50 meters or less. I was watching mortars just come in on me. Um, and that's when things got real, real fast. <laughs> so who at that time, it's it's early on, uh, who would deal with that sort of situation? If it's indirect, you know, you guys are just getting out of there. You don't know where at this point you don't have a blimp, an ISR with exact eyes on where they can find a mortar team. So, like, you guys just get the hell out of there, but how? how's that scenario dealt with? What's higher up doing and reacting to this situation? Well, what happened, um, the, way, the way we dealt with it was we kept moving, and there was an MLRS unit behind us. Um, whoever was in charge just pointed that MLRS at that town, and they leveled it, like, Guided rockets. Yeah, guided rocket artillery for anybody. They just took out the grid square. 
and it got quiet. Wow. And they right moving. When they fired, it was like, yeah. The only thing more you guys just refueled, that would have been a day, right? I guess you just refuel then and then just keep moving. Yeah, we just rolled, man. Um, some of the bridge crossings, you know, we, we met resistance. Um, I don't know, remember what river it was, but we got into a pretty heavy one. And um, my company commander was on the front page of like every newspaper in the U.S. He ended up getting a silver star. He ran up onto the bridge. I mean, we're getting nailed with stuff from across the bridge. He grabs this little girl and brings her back. Um, and that was like every day somebody I knew was on like every the cover of every newspaper in the U.S. like all the time. Re-ID was, was it. Yeah. I mean, not yet, but you guys were right up front. Yeah. We had a reporter with us, like embedded with us in my patrol. His name was Chris Tomlin or Tomlinson. Um, he took some really good pictures. Um, he, he captured everything really well. Um, How, when did he come along with you guys? At what point were you on that? It was like, right, I think it was like right before we left. Um, I didn't even know he was with us until Baghdad, probably. There might have been before that. So who's us? The battalion? The company? No, I mean, with me being, like, lower enlisted, like, platoon was me. Like, that's all I knew. Like, sometimes yeah. company, but not much. That's funny. I was learning that. I was talking to, like, Wilson, my Wilson. And it's just funny to share perspectives because we were just on different – just his yeah. eye level was just what the things that he was uh, zeroed into and concerned with is not what I was zeroed in concerned with, right? Like we were just on different viewpoints. So it's so interesting to hear that. Yeah, my world was like company at most, you know, like I, I had no idea of anything beyond that. And I was, you know, I'd only been in the army uh, 18 months, 20 some months. You know, I didn't, I didn't really know anything other than how to carry a 240. And get a gas mask on real fast. Gas mask on. Just in the direction when you're taking incoming. Oh, this is the other thing. Like, so talking about like that movement, dude, like we moved so far, so fast, we outran our supply lines. We were we were good on ammo. Um, I don't remember ever going black on ammo. Uh, but we outran food. And I remember the day my platoon sergeant was a senior staff sergeant and it was straight up like one MRE a day. Like, and you had to fight, you had to go see him and he would issue it to you because you know how rat fudgery happens. Oh yeah. But me and this kid from New York got into a fist fight over spaghetti, man. It was like, <laughs> checks out. <laughs> like, like, dude, I really wanted spaghetti. <laughs> and like, and we were just, like we were just dropping weight like crazy, but um, Sergeant Cameras he he stretched the food. You know we never ran out, but um, it was crazy. Were you guys involved with the? Uh, or was your unit involved at the airport with the Thunder Run? Kind of those big three ID movements there. Yeah, my my brigade did it. Um, 
I don't really remember any part of it. I think that was around the same. I think I was stuck on like airport security or something. I think our platoon got pimped out <laughs> protecting like, I think the division tack was set up at the airport and we were basically tasked with securing that. And that sucked for a few weeks. Um, I remember the day we were released and we got to go rejoin our company. They had made it through the Thunder Run and they were set up. And I don't know if you know anything about Baghdad or the Green Zone, but it was what is now or was the KBR facility, the Kellogg Brown and Root. Brown. The big, like the big Iraq. KBR, yeah, yeah. The KBR facility was our company headquarters then. And uh, we did a lot of, um, we went in and secured, I think the first thing we really secured were the banks. Um, they were full of U.S. cash. It's the only time in my life I've ever seen a pallet of $100 bills by serial number stacked. Um, That's unique. There, were, there was a lot of crazy stuff going on then. Uh, I remember Maxim did a big article about it, about the thieves of Baghdad, and it was my unit. <laughs> like, um, I think my first sergeant was actually involved in it, and he was under investigation for a long time. But Like taking some of that cash? Oh, like... We, I mean, we seized the palaces. We seized, like, you had guys walking around with, like, six-figure paintings. Any weapon you could imagine. I had an MP5 and a Colt Python, as well as my 240. Like, we just, I mean, we're just Joe's. Just carrying you know? it around. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Dude, my freaking PL had a sweet SIG, man. It was a nice, nice gun. Anybody but get like, that stuff back home? Or was it no, a no. Okay. Uh, well, some guys did, but, like... At some point while we're still in that KBR facility, <laughs> I think Brigade got wise and they sent the MPs down and they, we did like the amnesty and then it was like they just dumped our stuff and they took everything. I, I, I lost. Would have, I would have liked I to see that amnesty box. I gave up my MP5, my Colt Python. The guys were giving up cash and gold <laughs> and paintings. <laughs> Saddam, Saddam had like so many, he had a palace for everything. Like he had a palace for his like concubines and it was just nuts, man. We were like right in the middle of it. So anywhere you went, like you were with, within 20 minutes of one of his palaces for whatever reason. And, and some what first area ones there. is this? Huh? Yeah. Well, first one's there, but what area? Is this Baghdad? Yeah, we were like in green zone proper, like like That's in the okay. middle, like downtown. We That's did a lot of uh, we secured different things, parks. The bank, I remember the bank specifically was the first thing um, that I that I got to go and secure. I was up on the rooftop forever with the 240. <clears throat> that got sorted out. And then they sent us over to some park on the river. And there was some engagements there. I think it was actually one of his sons had a massive place across the river. Uday Kuse, one of them had a, a palace there. And we were still... We were still hunting the cards at that time. Like all the, you know, like all the officials were on a deck of cards and everybody had the deck of cards and we were just hunting. And um, I got to, you know, some of the dismounted patrols that we did, we were 
we were walking through like ancient like Babylon stuff like it was it was a lot more westernized than I had anticipated um, and that went on for a few weeks and then they kicked us out west uh, <clears throat> went to Habania, Chaldea um, and at some point I think this was right around the time was they sent me home I'd gotten like two Red Cross messages in two weeks and uh, my grandmother had just died and my ex-wife had a child um, that I thought was mine later on figured out it wasn't but I went home for that and the last thing they did was they went out to Fallujah to guard an ASP site and they got into a lot of uh, engagements out there and then they came home uh, summer of 03. All right, we're going to take a couple seconds each episode to shout out one or more of the reviews that came in on Apple Podcasts. So that's something that really means a lot, helps the podcast to grow. And for this episode, we've got Cool Drip, Outstanding Work Gentlemen, thank you for your insight, and Ronnie, what a great podcast, entertaining, educational, entirely genuine. Thank you. Well, thank you guys both for taking the time to do that. Now back to the show. So, so, so really March three, four months, kind of, of the actual push, sounds like. Like, the, yeah, it I really was just that initial foothold then. Yeah, I think the last the last units out of our brigade came home somewhere in August of 03. So it was from autumn of fall of 02 to summer of 03. Which, yeah, that's you know, right. Not all of it was combat, but, like, we were still, you know, living <laughs> in the desert. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what a grueling... It had to have been just grueling. I mean, I just, yeah, the the emotional aspect is just, again, one of those things that's very, even at the physical aspect, there's, you can't, that anxiety, that anxiety of, well, the fact that you still remember um, that you can get on a mask within six seconds. And because the thing is, it's not because bragging about being able to get a mask on that fast. It's because if you don't, there's a concern of choking on mustard gas and like dying, you know, like, and it could come at any time. Those indirect rounds could be canisters. You just, so that's a decision point, by the way, is it, what do you do? Do you just freeze and hold up? Do you just do distance <laughs> and direction and get the hell out of there? Uh, do you just start shooting in that direction? Do you put your mop gear on and then go dis, you know, it's like, cause you got to do something though. And it's that constant anxiety on top of, the fatigue, because it sounds like you were already tired. You were already smoked. Um, you probably still weren't out from all the training you did in, at Fort Stewart. You know, with all of those, just being in the field, it just, it really wears you out. Yeah. But, <clears throat> it, I think, like, I mean, even all the way up to, like, general level, it was like, you know, these guys have been through a lot, you know, like, need to get them out of here. And, uh, it was funny because 4th ID, they were kind of late to the game. They were supposed to come in through Turkey, but at the last minute, Turkey, like, reneged on their agreement. So they had to put them on a boat, send them around to Kuwait, and 4th ID came up in our tracks, basically. Uh, and they ended up staying longer. And, of course, you know, they, they were the ones that got Saddam later on. Um, but as far as like movement clearing, taking the country, it was, 
it was third ID in the Marines, <laughs> a division in whatever the Marines had. We, we took the whole country in three weeks. I'm going to skip eight years forward in your career, seven years forward in your career. When we went to Afghanistan in 2010, that was a, um, you know, an insurgent force with AKs and IEDs. You fought in two totally different wars. And I think that's something we're going to forget or we'll kind of gloss over in 20, 30, 50 years, whatever it is. The, the invasion of Iraq was tanks, chemical weapons, armored personnel carriers. In, in my mind, there's like, I know this is going to sound weird. I feel safe in this audience. There's pros and cons to both. Like, you know how to train against an armored force. So there's maybe some security in that, but that can be incredibly lethal. How, what, what was that like? I mean, they're two, almost two entirely different types of warfare. Yeah. So I came home for a year and a half and then I was right back as a, as a team leader in Al-Rashid, South Baghdad, living on Fob Falcon. And that's, that was like my, that was like insurgency 101, you know, like, what do we do now? Like, well, we're fighting bombs and people not in uniform shooting at us. And my takeaway. So what, so what year was this then? Was this 04, 05? 05, 06. 05, 06. I, it was, I got there like January, February of 05 and I left. I think I, I was boots on ground back in Georgia Christmas Eve. I got to go back on Avon because I re-enlisted. <laughs> but the funny thing is I got stop-lossed into that deployment anyway. So I was stuck like Chuck for six or seven months. That was that but era. My takeaway from that was the our military, we do offensive invasion style, conventional stuff extremely well. We do it. We've got it down to a science. The, <laughs> the counterinsurgency, all that, not so much. <laughs> like, and we just, you know, even in, even in our deployment in Afghanistan, we were doing stuff where I was like, this is stupid, man. Like, we're not making a difference. But I never really adopted that mentality. My mentality was still like hunt, seek, <laughs> find, kill, destroy, you know, like... I didn't care about any of that other stuff. We had an enemy and that's why I was there. That is the nature of the job. And the enemy changes because, I mean, that's why I think when I was talking about three to four months, I mean, I'm, those are heavy. I'm not saying only, by the way, because um, to me, it's just such an instrument because the Iraq war itself had so many different. It's still it's still ongoing. We're still boots on ground, so it still counts. So, like, I don't know what you would call right now, but it's a lot different than what you did both times. And then it evolved into the, you know, counterinsurgency did end up happening and then the quasi-peace and then the ISIS stuff. You know, everyone that would, would have done those deployments would have had, I'm sure, similar stories and experiences, but still probably vastly different, even in the same city. Oh. <clears throat> I will say, when we did that uh, Dragon Strike, you know, that morning, you know, we we loaded up our rocks and donkeys and we walked, you know, like I had a lot of, I had a lot of familiar feelings with that. Like I felt, it almost felt like we were invading another country, you know, like, because prior to that, like that was off limits, you know, like we just okay. shot into it. We just shot into it and called in stuff into it, but we never went in there. 
I that's how I felt. That's what not, my question for you is: Is the two invasions with? Sorry to, um, I mean to cut you off, but the two invasions because you were talking about the highs and lows about in Kuwait, but those highs and lows were it's either on, which is like we're getting it on, or it's not, we're going home. I felt like in Kandahar, like we knew we were going, like that time in calf, those couple weeks. I thought it was all bad stories, all valleys. Like there wasn't optimism, like we're going to come in, kick ass. It's like we're invading and we're invading in some really rough sort of country. And it's not like all the reports coming in were not pretty. I mean, it was, I was real apprehensive, not really yeah. excited. And that, uh, that morning of dragon strike was, was crazy. And we weren't even in like an hour into it. And, um, Lieutenant Snook stepped on that ID like right next to me. And it yeah. was like, man, what have we got ourselves into? You know, we were like, I just set in the gun. You know, we had guys like right in front of us shooting at us. And uh, the rounds were coming over me and like landing at my guy's feet, you know, who were set in. Like we, we had basically had a half moon 180, you know, security set. And uh, that was that was some really wild stuff. Have you talked to Kyle recently? Yeah, I talked to I talked to Kyle back in uh, March when uh, when Garcia died. We talked for about an hour that morning. We just um, he and Bryson and uh, uh, Jake Ivy got on here few weeks ago talk about Todd Todd Weaver and anyways Kyle tough topic good good to get all those guys together but um yeah, anyways I think Kyle's doing well running running yeah. the, the dad life out in Colorado now yeah he 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 went through a lot of demons um and I honestly I was just glad he was alive I mean I was just happy to hear him scream <laughs> like I ran up there and checked him you know I'm like you're good man Everything's nice for me. Ah! Yeah. And uh, me and Lopez drug him, <laughs> drug him down into a ditch, and he was worried about us stepping on secondaries. <laughs> I was like, yeah. they were good. Uh, he it was just it happens well, so fast. It's crazy. And I think that that was like we all we were so happy. Like he had, we were like happy in a way especially when you first hear that stuff on the net again, back all those dark clouds and calf, we know how this goes. It just happened to Weaver a couple of weeks ago. And they, was this the first initial contact, like contact when this had like the first, that first burst type time frame? Yeah. Um, we got down across the first ditch. <coughs> there was a compound to the right. We cleared it. I think that's when I first, I st adopted the hook shot grenade throw methodology. <laughs> Innovative. <laughs> we cleared that building. And like right after we cleared that building, you know, everything started popping off to the south. And, um, you know, I was, I'd got my gun in and I was getting ready to just rake everything with that gun. And uh, Snook came up behind me and went right to the corner of the wall. And that's where the ID was, right at the corner mm -hmm. of the wall. And uh, I was like, 
Dang, come on, man. Are there others right here? Like, don't move. Uh, probably. I mean, there probably were. We know that there I'm sure that there were. Yeah, the odds yeah. are you stepped over six of them in route to Kyle. Yeah, that's. They yeah, were everywhere. I, you found one, you found another half dozen, truly. I, uh, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. you know, but like that whole Kandahar rule of five and I mean, that was, that was legit, man. Like that year I found IEDs everywhere, like places that you had sat, you know, like, man, <laughs> you see the A&A guy pulling up the wire, like, oh God, where's this going? <laughs> Right after we got home, I did, or maybe it was, it was probably like when we were at Ramrod or Cap on our way out, this felt like not something to do while we were still at Strong Point Dog. But looking at the map, I kind of did a tally in my head of how many places I knew I had walked where we later found an IED. And not like they laid it the day after we walked there, but like we missed it and found it the next week. And for me, the company FSO that went on a fraction of the patrols that you guys did, it was in like the, it was in like the 20s or 30s. And I just remember thinking like, God, that is insane. That's how many we missed. You didn't find the first time around. What was, what was really funny was um, through Garcia's death, it, it forced a lot of us to reconnect. And I had a bunch of my guys come out here for Memorial Day and Scavira came. <laughs> <laughs> so my whole family like like obviously my wife and some of my kids remembered him but like my in-laws they got to meet him and uh I was telling my father-in-law I was like this was my guy man this was like my lead team leader you know like he directed the path like and I used to tell him <clears throat> and Scavira was telling him the same thing but like every day I would just look we'd get our gear on we'd go out and I'd look at Scavira and be like just take the most jacked up route you can ever think of if there is a way you want to go do not go that way we went over walls through slop creek i mean just like we just walked terrible routes you know that's probably why my, well that is why my back is permanently messed up but um that's the way it was you know and i, I was just trying to convey that to my father-in-law and just like take everything you think and just turn it upside down. And that's how you live in Afghanistan. Did that, you're, you're an outdoorsman, Hunter. Um, did that mess with you at all when you got back home hunting? I, for a, a year, about a year, I think, I remember being real skittish in the woods. I'd see the trail and be like, well, I can't walk on the trail. And then halfway through realize, what am I doing? And yeah, just, it, anyways, just thought about that a few weeks ago. Was that something you experienced? Yeah, it, it stayed with me for a long time. I remember um, it was this was after the deployment. We went somewhere as a family. <laughs> we went to uh, Paint Bank, West Virginia. It's this really rural place, but it's beautiful. It's a valley, big mountains. There was like a garden and a creek, and uh, we're walking through the path, and I'm just like staring at the ground where I'm walking. I'm like, man, this just doesn't leave you you know like every step you take somewhere outside you know like you're you're thinking about it it's a hard thing to to not think about it's crazy I mean, like grand yeah. when i see the culvert like just a little culvert a little bridge with a little uh, tube underneath i always think about that 
like because those guys chucked the satchels in there. Remember that? Because that was like the very beginning part. They they were kind of they were real good at that, real quick. And I just think <laughs> of satchel charges. We were just at like with my kid at some park, and I was like, hey, I'm just that weird guy that's like reminded me of the satchel charges back in the day. Damn Taliban, we had to weld them shut. Can, can we talk about those culverts? Do you guys remember how that all played out? <laughs> the culvert denial system? Yeah, so they put these grates over. The, the culverts went underneath this road on Highway 1, and the Taliban were putting in big IEDs, like hundreds of pounds of IEDs that would blow the road and vehicles. So Strikers. Yeah, just decimate vehicles. So it was a drainage ditch that went underneath. Um, so what we were doing the unit before was doing and i don't know somebody else probably did it was putting up like grates and things so they couldn't get in there to lay an ied but then the rainy season came and it washed all that brush up against it and the water couldn't flow through and everything flooded <laughs> what was that like march <laughs> the, the day of seven winds <laughs> like rain rain i've never seen but like you go, you go from dry, like we couldn't, we had to have water, no, fuel airlifted to the strong point because you couldn't get the vehicles through that water. That was, I remember that, like, whatever night it was, we had our little CP set up at Baluchon in that mud hut. It was like, that was the night the roof came in. It was like, man, this is some crazy rain out here, man. I was had to like make the sandbags just to walk. You say you were on. Yeah, I missed there? it. I missed it pretty much. I came in at the very tail end of it. Um, I got delayed coming back because it was just it was so flooded. There was like at calf there were like creeks, and you had to do like water like ferrying cross it. And it's almost, I mean there was no. I mean it was moving water. That stuff like even like waist deep moving water is no joke. And when you're wearing gear and crap, yeah, I'm not getting drug under. Like, that's a stupid way of – there's always people – I mean, unfortunately, I mean, people get killed in those type of things, too, at the same time. And so, anyway, it was just like – Yeah, to do even calf flooded. We did a dismounted patrol from Baluchon back to Housie Madon during that. And uh, we – like, dude, we were walking through, like, chest-deep water, like – it, it it was so bad that it got funny, you know. Like by the time we like by the time we walked in the gate, it was like, who cares anymore? This is ridiculous. So say are you say you on leave? Uh, Landis and I went on leave together. I don't know if we came back together, but do you remember that? What was that? That was uh, January ish, like December, January. We um, because we were gone when Sergeant Kramer was killed. The day we left was the day the guy and brought the PL and Bravo company. Larkin O'Hearn. Uh, O'Hearn. That's the day he got um, injured. I think well, that was like uh, New Year's Eve, I believe. Yeah. Does that sound right? Is that right? Not I remember. Yeah. Yeah. Like the very end of December. Our flight got pushed a couple times, but I, I had in my mind that we were on the LZ at Housing Madad. And it was kind of like, step aside, guys. We got some other things to work on. I don't know if I'm remembering that right, but yeah, we were on the way out. But yeah, Charlie Charlie Company's first sergeant was going with us too. Um, man, what was his name? Harbor. Harbor. He was with us too. But we're so when you go on leave, we didn't have much stuff, right? So like you've got all of your army stuff, you got your assault pack. Do you know where this is going, Landis? 
You got your salt pack that you take on patrol every day and you put all sorts of stuff in there. Like batteries and tourniquets. I'd see extra mag extra magazines. And then you fly commercial air to get to wherever you're going. You go through all these security checkpoints. And I don't remember where we were, but we'd been through we'd been through a couple checkpoints when old Landis pulls out a full magazine from his assault pack. That was in Kuwait. It was like, do you have anything to declare? I'm like, you get so used to it. He's thirty. I mean, you just always got grenade. You always have a grenade on you. How many times had I run my bag through something though? And how many dogs smelled that bag? (laughs) Like Like like, three or four. Yeah. That thing was like a C4 bag. You know, like that's what it was for. You know, uh, they on the when we were going back. On that Delta flight, I had this little trinket bag of good luck charms that I kept in my kit. One was like I had Lerp Rangers from some Vietnam guy, his airborne wings with his head Lerp, um, some like St. Christopher medallion someone gave me. And I had a case knife that was my grandpa's. It was a stag handle that my uh, dad gave me on my wedding. I always had that. Lim- I had that in the hot beverage bag, you know, waterproof it in my kit. And uh, they took it from me. When they were screaming, and I had we had M4s, no ammo, of course, but I forgot about this little pocket knife in the bottom of my kit or whatever in this bag that just really hasn't moved. And they took that damn knife. You should have said Landis brought thirty rounds of five five six back. What's the what's the problem? I didn't know. I didn't know. Armor piercing too. <laughs> you know, I was just in a daze, and I just like I want to go home. Dude, they I'm took, not going to fight. My freaking, uh, I what was it, Sergeant Smith? was the cigar guy. So at some point during that year, I got all strung out on Cuban cigars. And I had I had a box of Romeo and Juliet's that I wanted to take back and they freaking took them from me. Oh, man. Triple Cubans. Customs guys are making out. Yeah, I was like, what are you going to do with that? Uh, yeah. Same thing they're going to do with that Colt Python and the MP5. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> straight. They'll find homes. Gents, we're coming up on the hour here. Um, I know we could probably just keep rambling for another three or four, but we'll try to try to put a cap on it. Um, we uh, we're going to put this out on on Veterans Day, so tomorrow's Veterans Day. Put it out tomorrow morning. Um, like I don't know what I just a cool that wasn't necessarily intended, but I like it being able to just kind of shoot it with a couple guys that I mean, Landis, dude, I don't think we've talked in 10 years. Right. Um, Couldn't, couldn't ask for a better uh, thing for veterans day, you know? Yeah. And like, and here's the thing though, when I messaged Garth, whatever, last week, two weeks ago, he was like, I was like, Hey, weren't you in the invasion? I think I remember that. He's like, yeah, I don't have anything sexy to tell. And I have no sexy stories. And it's like, dude, you were on the phone talking to your mom. (laughs) <laughs> when George W. signed the order and launched the you know cruise missiles, like, come on, man! Like, give me a break! Like, what a it's a hell of a story. And then, honestly, even I'm still there's so much to go. Like, we could yeah, exactly what Stewie was saying. We could talk all day because like I'm still on the uh, you had one a mortar round in MLRS. You know, it's just like holy smokes, what type of that is some shit going on. Yeah, and uh, it, it, no, it's all, and it's just it's it's a piece of history too, right? And it was twenty years ago. And I know for me, 
I started, especially more recently, it's like we're 10 years past and it's becoming more dreamlike, right? It's one of those things that I thought I would never, ever, ever forget, like word for word, I'll, I'll always remember. And that's just not true. It's not the case. You know, it's becoming hazier. And so um, a lot of its context, you know, like you forget, but then if you hear something or see something or smell something, or even if you just start talking about it with someone, you just remember stuff. So I, I forgot all about the culverts until you guys start talking about culvert denial missions. <laughs> yeah, we flooded Zari on accident. That's right. Well, see, my culvert, real quick, I know we keep talking. My culvert story, that was my first mission. And I probably wrote a bigger op order for that than Landis's PL for the invasion. <laughs> I probably made those guys sit for three hours listening to this. The political implications of Zari District. Oh, I was just page upon page upon page of this mission and enemy, all these. And it was it was a great op order. But coming to obviously when we were actually doing it months later, it, you know, we we're obviously just rolling out and just what you're doing to scurvy. Hey, you know what you got to do? And then you guys all know, right? You're looking at each other. I think that's why we you know, develop a relationship even with the ANA because you can just look at each other. You don't even have to do the – you get to the point you don't – the op order is superfluous because everybody has – their head on a swivel they already know what's going on and that's sort of the that's kind of the beauty of it too once everybody hones in on their their job from those like you know the pfc level to the pl to the bc everybody like the first sergeant everybody has a specific the s4 uh you you know you only eating on one mre is a big problem when you're on little sleep and you're in an invasion like you need like methamphetamines you need the opposite of that you need much many calories and um so everybody has that role to play and then to see it and feel it in action is like, that's just one of those things where you got to be there for. Yeah, I um, I don't know. Everyone's like, you only did 15 years, but uh, <laughs> I, I was a part of I was I was a part of some really wide ranging crazy stuff. And who that, said uh, who who's, who said only 15 years? Like you know, you just meet somebody and they're like, how long did you serve? I said 15 years, one month, and 22 days. Oh, you couldn't make it to 20? I'm like, nah, man. They freaking packed me up and medically retired me because I'm all Give me a break. Three combat deployments. You know, none of those were a joke. Uh, I did. I went to Afghanistan again after we went. Did you see? That's what I mean. Stewie glossed over your second Iraq one, and then you, you got double. You got two and two. Two campaign stars. Like, that's impressive, man. I, went, I think I you only did 15. Only doing one of those things, only doing one of those is a really big deal. Yeah, I went back to Kandahar um, in 13 and 14 and basically helped close the place down. <laughs> it was like the last time I was here, man, it was a lot crazy. <laughs> That's good. That's a good thing for them. But, man, yeah, no, we should do this again. We should, it's just good to stay in touch. And like, I keep saying it, we need to do a company reunion. Um, I just need to get my ass in gear. But I really, I really enjoyed y'all's podcast and a few others. It's just, you go at, like, I'll watch them and I'll go into it thinking, you know, like I might take something away from it, but it's just like, we're all just dudes that put our pants on one leg at a time. You know, it's, there's nothing mystical about it. It's just, we're just dudes that wanted to serve and 
and do well. And um, I think you guys are doing a great job. I really enjoy it a lot. That means a lot, man. Yeah, it does. Thank you. Because it has an awkwardness to it, but um, we both enjoy it. And Stewie's been just taking, he's been taking the initiative on it because it takes, it's just an awkwardness to putting yourself out there and he's just been doing it. And it's, it's really cool seeing him on TikTok and like, it's just, it's just all genuine and authentic, man. It's good shit. So it's like, we need more good shit to counter all the bad shit. There has to be good shit. Um, so yeah, we appreciate it. And that, thanks for coming on and just sharing the story. Um, so if you people want to share it or there's actually people that do want to share it. It's just, it's hard to get it out and nobody knows how to ask those questions and just get the conversation going. Because like you said, we're all just people, every, you just, we're dudes. And now we're just dudes. Um, well, you've already had a ass load of kids. Now we're all trying to catch up to you. <laughs> yeah. but, what are you at now, man? 12, 15, six, six. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Which that was that was fun to see, and then we see, and then you know what's also cool about we as we age and kind of wrap it up is I just saw Lewis today, who's now attended the career course and graduated, and you know he yep. was a he was one of those PFCs back that we were talking about that had that job to do at the at that level on the ground, and now yep. I mean he's 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 I didn't I didn't he progressed farther than I did right like I never made it to career course like that's the next sort of stage as an officer and, and here he is doing it like and he's doing all like he's just kicking ass so that's all we had, that's all great to see. we had a lot of we had a lot of strong resilient soldiers that year in afghanistan and a lot of them have gone i mean like scabira was sf garcia was sf you know lewis he's the captain ranger tab um and another one do you remember i'm not going to throw his name out there but do you remember candy cane He's doing secret squirrel stuff now, isn't he? Yeah, he's an I operator. <laughs> really? He he did a long walk, and he is an operator. I saw him. I knew I party. knew him back when he was just you know. He uh, he came in town for Memorial Day, and we were out. I was barbecuing, and we were out there talking. And he was like looking around. And I knew that he was in uh, RRD or RRC or whatever it was for a long time. He's like, hey, uh, I just did a long walk, and I'm like. Oh, <laughs> you are <laughs> that guy. <laughs> for the non-military still listening, uh, Delta. Yeah, uh, for, I'm not surprised. He's a stud. Yeah. He was. He's all. He's always was a stud. Um, but I mean, that was those guys. You know, that was a hard year, but some of those guys really flourished. You know, and they are. You know, they are what we thought they were. They're the best of the best. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good shit. We just let's just keep it alive, keep the stories alive because there's it's just the one percent thing. It's like I think sharing the stories is benefit. It's there's always the takeaways, like you said. Um hardship and struggle is pointless without a, a a lesson. So it's like if we've all been through some hard shit, let's hopefully there's some good lessons out of there. That's like that's the benefit. That's the whole kind of point of it, because you don't want to go through a bunch of arbitrary suffering right looks like there's let's get some takeaways out of it and um there's just so many different stories out there to glean that just um they're human stories nobody remembers the easy stuff you know it's always the stuff that sucks and sticks <laughs> that you can sure. reflect on. yeah 100 percent well i'm not a very good podcast host because i think 20 minutes ago i said we're wrapping up but uh 
I'll, I'll deal with the that. Formation before the formation. <laughs> yeah, army style, right? <laughs> They're five minutes early. Five minutes early. Garth, thanks so much, man, for taking the time. Sayer, thank you for helping organize it. And we'll, uh, I'm sure we'll talk again soon, guys. Hey, if you've got an extra 16 seconds, it would really mean a lot to me if you left a review for War Stories. I read every single one of those, and we'll do our best in coming episodes to maybe shout some of those out just as a way of saying thank you for taking the time. But either way, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.